Stories Bigger Than Texas, The Alamo Podcast. Author David Zucker is a noted Hollywood producer and lifelong Alamo enthusiast. Like so many of you, he became enamored with the Alamo story as a young boy, watching Walt Disney's Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier. Today, we reveal how that childhood passion paved the way for Zucker to make a career in the movie business, become a collector of Crockett-related artifacts, and how one of those artifacts now has a new home at the Alamo. I'm your host, Emily Balkum. We are delighted to be joined by the creator of so many classic movies, David Zucker. David, thank you so much for joining us. Sure. Now, you grew up in Milwaukee. I did. That's not close to San Antonio, but you were a big fan of the Walt Disney Davy Crockett show. Right, because even in Milwaukee, they had television. So, you know, I, I grew up and it just hit me right at the age of, I don't know, nine or ten. Um, the whole, or, or even younger, actually, probably six or seven or eight. Uh, I can't do the math. That's why I became a director. I can't do math. So but you wore the Davy Crockett costume. I wore the Davy Crockett costume. I have pictures of myself and my brother in our little Davy Crockett costumes with the plastic fringe. And uh, in, at that time, I think they ran out of coonskin caps. There were none available in Milwaukee. Because so it was just so popular. It was so popular. They couldn't kill enough uh, raccoons. I guess. <laughs> what was it about us, that yeah. TV show that captivated so many people? Uh, it's just something about, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to recall just how much that hit us. But he was, uh, it was part of the charm of Fess Parker, who was such a hero to us. And, uh, and he was funny because Davy Crockett was funny. And I don't think Disney even really uh, portrayed that, how funny the real Davy Crockett was. But uh, they got a lot of it, and, you know, he was a hero in every sense of the, of the word. He, uh, uh, you know, he was, he was the biggest uh, sports athlete of his day because in those days, there, before professional sports, there was hunting, so he killed a lot of bears. He was an expert marksman, which was, I suppose, translate to today to a quarterback or a third baseman. Yeah. So that was your childhood. How did you get into the movie business? Oh, well, uh, you know, after college, uh, my brother and I and our partner, Jim Abrams, uh, started a small theater called Kentucky Fried Theater. And, you know, we, we were kind of like the class clowns, although there were, you know, many guys who were funnier than we were in our high school, but they were all able to find jobs. So after college, we started this theater and in, a, in the back of a bookstore on the campus of the University of Wisconsin in Madison. And we did that for a year. Then we took that show out to LA. And uh, after five years, we did a movie of the show, which was called Kentucky Fried Movie. And then we, uh, we had written the script to Airplane and after Kentucky Fried Movie, we rewrote the script to Airplane, and uh, we were able to get the financing for that. And it just grew. Airplane, it just grew Naked for that. Gun, I mean, A Walk in the Cloud. Yeah, the, the, way, the way I'm recounting it, it probably seems easier than it was, but uh, we just wrote a book called Surely You Can't Be Serious. You recently hosted a book signing at the Alamo Gift Shop for this book. Tell us about the book. 
uh, well, the book is, is an oral history of everything airplane, just how we got to do it. And it pretty much answers the question in much greater detail of what you just asked me, you know, how did we do that movie? So, and, and it goes back to 1971, you know, we started the Kentucky Fried Theater and, uh, and you know, went out to Hollywood. We, we moved out in a U-Haul truck and uh, we, we, uh, we started a show, we called our show My Nose because, so our weekly uh, LA Times calendar listing would read My Nose runs continuously. So, you know, I mean, the jokes got better after that. The book is called Surely You Can't Be Serious, The True Story of Airplane. Of right. course, that famous line in the movie. Right, and that, that was, you know, it's just one of many lines that we wrote, but that one, I guess, as delivered by the great Leslie Nielsen, just kind of uh, put the whole thing into the language. And we, we had no way of knowing at the time uh, that the movie would still be you know, popular 43 years later. But all that time, you have carried your love of David Crockett with you. In all of your movies, there's a reference to him, usually a photo hanging on the wall. How did you make that happen? Well, in The Naked Guns, uh, that's when it started. I don't think there were any references in in Airplane, but uh, in in The Naked Guns, we always had a photograph of, you know, some painting of Davy Crockett. Uh, on the wall and then did you come in and nail it to the wall yourself no i just you know when when you're a director you can you know you can order anything you want so and they said yes sir so and so it's hard to get perspective when you're you know people wondering people who you know deal with me on a day-to-day basis now say how could you ever direct a movie because i can't you know i can't even mail a letter i can't but you know there's when you're directing there's like hundreds of people who are doing whatever you whatever you need. So I just said, I need a, a, a painting of Davy Crockett, and it just appears. Just appears. It just appears. It's great. In Naked Gun Two and a Half, you got to play Crockett on screen. Oh, that's Tell right. Tell us what was happening in that scene, what that whole experience was like. Well, it, it, I, it, it was one of the greatest days of my life because I, I got to wear a Davy Crockett outfit, and I have some great pictures of me at the camera. Uh, in my Davy Crockett suit. And this time I had a, I actually had a coonskin cap, but I didn't wear it for the picture. But, uh, I, and I got to fire a flintlock rifle um, and, and, uh, and it was a good joke. So that was the important thing is that- That it worked it was in a the joke. movie. It was a joke, yes. It had to work in the movie. Right. You screened Naked Gun 33 and a third at the White House. When you introduced it, you mentioned you didn't direct it because you were busy working on a movie script about Davy Crockett. Right. What happened next? Well, you know, Bill and Hillary Clinton are sitting in the front row. The White House screening the room. The White House screening room. And the entire government is there. And, uh, and so I said, well, I'm working on a script about the life of Davy Crockett. So that's why I didn't direct Naked Gun 33 and a third. And so, and I was about to go on and elaborate or just change the subject. And Hillary says, is the song going to be in it? And I said, uh, I, you know, she kind of caught me by surprise. I said, no, we don't have any plans to we put don't have the, the Davy Crockett song. song. We don't have the rights to the song, right? And so, and then as I was about to change the subject again, Hillary starts singing, Davy, Davy, and she, and the entire you know, uh, the whole audience starts singing the song, and I'm and I'm end up leading the whole, whole White House 
uh, government <laughs> press corps and everything in the, the ballad of Davy Crockett. So that was kind of an interesting moment. What a moment. Must have yeah. been very surreal. It was surreal. So that was in the 90s. Do you think you'll ever make that Crockett movie? And where's the script these days? Uh, you know, it, it, that's, that's a tough one. Uh, it's... I, I don't think I'll ever make it, but I, you know, I kind of moved on from wanting to make a movie about Davy Crockett to just collecting Davy Crockett artifacts. So well, we're the luckier for that. Right. So I'm donating <laughs> my you. great letter to the uh, to the Alamo Museum, and it's the letter. Uh, it's really the most important Crockett letter because he says, "Tomorrow I leave for Texas," and I plan to explore the. He used the article, the Texas well before I return. And over time, you got the collecting bug. Why is collecting so important? What satisfaction do you get from it? You know, I felt such a connection to Crockett because, you know, he was so many things and he was funny. And he also, you know, had principles, which is kind of rare in politics today. And so I, I just, and I started out, I just bought a Crockett letter. Uh, and, uh, and then I bought another one. And then I heard about a doctor in Lubbock, Texas, who owned this, you know, the best Crockett letter of all. And so I uh, contacted him and I told him I was interested in buying it. And he said he just didn't want to just sell it to anyone. He wanted to make sure uh, it was someone who was a, a true uh, Crockett fan or collector and not someone who wanted to turn it around and sell it, resell it. And so he invited me to his home in Lubbock. And uh, I traveled out there with my friend, uh, Paul Hutton, who's a, a history professor at the University of New Mexico. And, uh, and Dr. Moore had a huge party for me. And, uh, and, and I, of course, I gave another speech. <laughs> and uh, I think somehow I fooled him into think, thinking that I was a real Crockett fan. So, but you are. Yeah, I know. It, well, it <laughs> turned out I was. So that was good. But uh, so I bought, I bought the letter and, and some more items in his collection. This is the letter that you are so graciously donating to the Alamo. Right. This is, this is the letter. And, you know, I mean, and Bob Moore, did, he became a friend. And, and, uh, and we would see each other a lot over the, the rest of his life. And uh, I would have a, a big uh, Crockett rendezvous, which we called the Davy Crockett Rifle Frolic at my ranch in Ojai. And uh, Bob Moore was a guest at, 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 a, at a couple, on a Fess couple of Parker occasions. Fess Parker was a guest. And Fess Parker Tell was a guest. Tell us about these festivals. And I have pictures. That's the main thing. I have pictures. You know, uh, and I have pictures. And these were the days before cell phones where you get a picture, you know, with everybody. Okay, let's circle back to that letter that you're so graciously donating to the Alamo. Describe what's in the letter, and how does it strike you personally? Well, first of all, it's, it's amazing that I, I could hold this letter in my hands, and I mean, after making sure my hands were washed, uh, and, and, and thinking that uh, Crockett actually held this letter, and he wrote it, and... You know, he, he put the pen to paper, and it's a very special letter because he, he talks about going to Texas. It's just, it's the best, I think it's it's really the, the, the best letter. And that letter's now at the Alamo. It's Where is it It's now safely been? at the Alamo. It's been actually in a safety deposit box. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even keep it in my house 
you know, thinking that if my house burned down, that letter would be destroyed. And it that's would be lost to history. That would be lost to history. What else is in your collection? I have some Davy Crockett almanacs and another a rare thing called an oldmanic. These are things that were in the 1840s, I think, published in the 1840s when they, everybody was trying to kind of profit after, over Crockett's name. And then I have, I commissioned a painting of the young Davy Crockett because no such rendering ever existed since he only had portraits painted of him while he was in Congress. So it was after he was uh, in his mid-40s. But uh, I had a uh, commission a painting with Crockett in his buckskin suit and with his actual rifle that he, he owned, which is now owned by Joe Swan of, uh, I think Joe is in, in Tennessee. The Crockett so, collectors keep track of each other. Yeah, they, they yeah. And then there's another, another uh, there's Old Betsy, which is uh, with another collector, but Joe Swan has loaned his, uh, his rifle to uh, the Alamo before. He's put it on loan. I'm yeah. sure it'll go on loan again. You mentioned these Crockett festivals you hosted at your ranch. Right. How long did they take place? Over how many years? Was it a weekend? Tell us all about them. I think we did about six of them over, over a dozen years. We do them every other year. And uh, they, the first one was with just, you know, eight people. And then it grew to in, include uh, 100 people. And then and Fess Parker would come and we'd have Bob Moore. I, I would invite, you know, uh, you know, dozens and dozens of friends. And it ended up, uh, people would hear about it and we'd get uh, uh, educators, craftsmen, uh, you know, just rifle, rifle collectors, flintlock enthusiasts, and everybody would dress in the period and then bring their, their flintlock rifles. This was your childhood come to life. Right. And then, I mean, the, the absolute crowning moment was when Fess attended. And, uh, and it was just great. And then we'd have a campfire, and <laughs> there was a guy who would uh, impersonate uh, Mark Twain, and he would he gave his whole performance around the campfire one night, and uh, it was excellent. I mean, it was uh, you know totally. This guy was a real pro, and you could see how Twain was a, a, actually a stand-up comedian. They say never meet your heroes, right? But you got to meet Fess Parker. I got to meet Fess. He he was wonderful. However, my my saying is when you meet your heroes, they will give you a script. So uh, that happened when I was on, I happened to be on Madison Avenue in New York, uh, went by the offices of Mad Magazine, went up there, met all my heroes, the writers and artists of Mad Magazine, and they gave me a script. I met Fess Parker, and it was a thrill. And uh, he took me out to lunch in Santa Barbara uh, at his uh, hotel and gave me a tour of his winery, and then he gave me a script. So this is... <laughs> this. This is what happens. That's life in Hollywood. Everyone life in Hollywood. Wants you to green light a movie. Everybody is uh, enamored with the whole with the whole thing. But uh, uh, I'm very fortunate to have, you know, gone through it. And uh, you know, in in the book, it kind of describes what we went through. And 
we, we, it, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of funny stories in the book. And, and it's, a, it's an amazing story. I mean, it's inspiring because, not because we were so great, it's because I think we were so ordinary. I mean, we were funny and we were talented, but it, there's, a, there's a lot of persistence that it took and luck that we had to, to have done this. Okay, so I've read that in your life, you've written 11 updated verses to the Davy Crockett theme song. Can you sing us a few? What were they about? You know, uh, this, was, this was for one of the campfire uh, events at the ranch for one of the rifle frolics. And I think Paul Hutton and I wrote, I don't know, maybe six parody verses. And I can't remember at all what they were. We put you on the spot. I get it. Okay, we are in a conference room overlooking the Alamo. You first visited almost 30 years ago. Right. What was that experience like? Well, I was so excited to visit the Alamo because, I mean, this is since 1955. I wanted to come to the Alamo. And finally, this must have been in the early 90s. I came here for the first time. And immediately, the bellman taking me up to my room said, uh, don't expect too much. <laughs> you know, don't, it's, it's not going to be as good as you think. I mean, he was wrong because I was such a crazy Alamo freak that I was just completely thrilled to see what there was. But coming here today, uh, it's amazing what they're, what they're building. And I think it's wonderful that they're converting, you know, across the, what used to be this, I don't know what the street was called, but it was a street. There were, when there I were first cars. came, there were cars and buses. And now it's all going to be museums. There's going to be something to see. They're, they're rebuilding the lunette. It's amazing. It's, I think it's wonderful that they're, they're reconstructing things and, and giving people more of a sense of what this was in 1836. In 2015, you wrote a letter to the Texas State Legislature calling on lawmakers to finance improvements to the Alamo and create a world-class historic site. That's finally happening. It's finally happening. How yeah. does it make you feel you, to see these well, plans Well, you would think I would be happy, forward. but uh, all I want to do is do another movie. <laughs> We're never satisfied well, in life. Yeah, so I go to the studios, and they, all they see is a uh, 75-year-old. But I've got a movie that, I'm, that, I'm, uh, that I have a script, and uh, I'm getting independent financing, and we're going to do it in the We're going to shoot it in the spring. Amen to that. So, yeah, I'm going to still be directing. What is it about David Crockett that made him so iconic to a generation? Uh, well, I think he, he was a real old-fashioned American hero. And uh, he, was, he was funny, and he had a uh, moral compass. And I think people understood that uh, he wanted to do the right thing. And that resonated with people certainly with my generation when we were, you know, nine years old. It was like, you called him the Groucho Marx of his day. Why well, do you say that? Well, because, you know, Groucho would, would make fun of himself and would be zany. And that is, you know, sometimes do nonsensical things. And in his speeches, Crockett would be funny. You saw the humor in the speeches. And I think that... In the Disney rendition, I don't think he even really conveyed that. But the more I read about it and the more biographical information uh, and I, I had about him and the more stories that I 
that I found about things that Crockett did and the pranks that he pulled, uh, I thought that he was a real zany character. He was outside of the box, and I, I was that guy in my grade school classes, and so I'm sure I identified with that, and he was not the normal guy. He was, he was willing to be out there in things he said and the, and the things that he did. Who these days would play Crockett in a movie, current actor? Huh. Uh, you know, I, I, I have no idea because I haven't been working on this script uh, and thinking about who would play Crockett, but I think it would have to be someone who uh, perhaps wasn't so much of a, uh, you know, actor hero type as Fess, but for a while it may have been Jim Carrey. Someone like Jim Carrey can do, ser he's a very fine actor, or Robin Williams even. I mean, the, we need people who are alive, you know, to, to cast them, but um, I think it would be, you'd have to go outside the box and not just get an actor, or you'd have to get somebody who was not an actor funny, but a real comic funny. Like Groucho was a comic funny. He could act, of course, but uh, somebody like Jim Carrey, Robin Williams, these guys are, are you know, in their bones. They're funny, and that's what Crockett was. If you could get a drink with Crockett, what would you ask about, or what would you say? I would say, how did you really die? That's a great question. <laughs> that's what I want to know. What did they do? Did, they, did you surrender? Did they... Uh, did they uh, stab you to death? Did you, did you die like John Wayne did, igniting a huge explosion in the only building that survives? But uh, that's, these are things that I'd love to uh, ask, ask him. One last question. What can we learn today, 2023, from David Crockett? Well, it, come, it does come down to... Uh, you know, do the right thing, you know, stand up for principles and not, not be swayed by whatever the prevailing attitude of the times. You know, it was very expedient for Andrew Jackson to uh, relocate all the in Indians, uh, you know, west of the Mississippi. But Crockett, even though that this may have been a benefit to a large amount of people and even Crockett's constituents, I think he had a certain uh, moral compass of what was right. So he stood up for that. He had some principles, and I think that's what people can take away today from Crockett. And then the other great thing, of course, there's, I don't know who said, this was in the movie Liberty Valance where they said, print the legend. And to a large extent, that's what they've done with, with Davy Crockett is they printed the legend, which is the, the right thing to do. David Zucker, thank you so much for joining us. Sure. Thanks for having me. Be sure to check out the podcast notes. We have a link to buy his new book, Surely You Can't Be Serious, The True Story of Airplane. It's being sold right now at the Alamo gift shop. We've also linked to photos and videos from his gracious donation to the Alamo of the last letter David Crockett wrote before famously leaving Tennessee for Texas. The Alamo podcast will be taking some time off over Christmas, and we're looking forward to bringing you many exciting new stories in 2024. You've been listening to Stories Bigger Than Texas, the Alamo podcast.